Today on the show, we have Nicole Levy. She's a writer, and she's going to talk about um, what it's like to be in a writer's room. Her book is The Writer's Room Survival Guide, which is uh, published by Michael Weesey Productions. And we're just going to learn a little bit about the book and a little bit about Nicole. Thank you for joining me today, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's uh, really cool to talk to someone. You're kind of behind the scenes of the TV shows. You you sit in the writer's room, and a lot of people, when they watch TV shows, they just kind of think they happen on their own, but they don't. Right. You're, you guys make the skeleton of the show. So can you talk right. a little bit about what you do in a writer's room? Sure, absolutely. And yeah, I, I notice that sometimes like if people get mad at an episode of their favorite show or something, they they want to go on Twitter and blast that writer of the episode. And the truth is like the whole writer's room has helped craft that episode. So basically what happens is, you know, someone will pitch an idea for what the next episode is going to be. And sometimes there's serialized elements, right? If it's that type of show. And sometimes it's a case of the week show. It all depends on what kind of room you're in. And we come up with the backbone of what the episode's going to be. Our main character, this is the week that our main character is going to find out the secret that their partner's been keeping for the last six episodes. And so we know that's the big event in the episode. And we'll throw up the the scenes that we know we need to make that story happen. So we have to remind the audience there's a secret. We have to tee up how our main character's going to figure it out. We actually have them find it out. And then what do they do with the information? So that's the most basic level of how that story plays, right? Mm -hmm. We throw all that up on a board. We're like, okay, what's what's the partner doing? Like, how, is the partner still actively trying to hide the secret? Do they think that the, they're never going to find out? Or... So they've kind of forgotten they made this lie and it's out there. Like, what are they doing? So we'll do the same for that character. And then if if it's a show where there's like a mystery that we also have to do, then we are like, okay, well, what's the mystery this week? And can we tie our character's emotional arc into the mystery? So we come up with an idea for that. <laughs> and really what you end up with is sort of, soft beats for every character story and the like a story of your episode what's the mystery what's the emotional thing we want to achieve this week whatever your a story is and then you're like okay this is the episode now let's get specific and you go in and the whole writer's room is there talking about i think a cool way to get to this reveal would be x and someone else is like oh i love that and what if before we did this and it just builds it off this group effort and eventually you have a whole episode of television written in very bad handwriting on the board. <laughs> and, and how many uh, how many people are generally in the writer's room at one time? It kind, yeah, it kind of depends on the show. If you're in like with streaming now where you have like a six episode run, that's usually a fairly small room. So say like four or five people. If you have when I was on SWAT, which does full seasons of television, anywhere from 18 to 22 episodes, sometimes more, there's like 10 to 12 writers in that room because you're turn you have to turn out episodes more quickly and you're losing bodies from the room. So you got to always have enough people there to be breaking the next episode. I got you. I I'm old enough to remember SWAT, the original series. So I I hear you. I hear you. I, <laughs> I love that it. theme song is one of the greatest theme yeah. songs of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, when you guys are in there and um, how does somebody throw out the first idea and, and how does it get played upon? 
again, and I, I really think the important thing to say is like all of this is pretty room dependent. So there are some rooms where because it's a very serialized story, when we first start the season, it's like, okay, we know this is how we launch the season. We know by episode three, we need this turn. We know in episode five, we need this reveal. So you kind of have temples that you're working toward. So you know those where those land. And so in between episodes, it's like, okay, great. What do we do to get to that next moment? How do we build to that temple we're trying to get to? And so people brainstorm ideas of how to do that. On a show that's a case of the week show, oftentimes you'll have days in the room where it's just everybody bring in ideas for what we can do. Like, what kind of crimes can we do? What kind of murders can we solve? What kind of, you know... Um, and everyone will just come in with ideas of, you know, wouldn't it be great if we did this? Like one of my favorite episodes of television that I wrote was for Mysteries of Laura and uh, Enrico Colantoni had been in the pilot and everybody really wanted him to come back. And our showrunner was like, let's figure out a way to make Laura go to the prison because he had killed somebody. So he was in prison and it was like, how do we figure out how to get there? And we were throwing ideas around and it was sort of like this, this, this. And I was like, well, can we have him for more than one scene? And everyone was like, maybe. Why? And I was like, well, then instead of going to see him and then there's a prison escape and like we've only seen him in this one scene, what if he's involved in the prison escape? And then he's part of the whole story. And then suddenly there was this episode that was super fun that I got to write. <laughs> so, That's cool. Um, caveat sometimes your very cool idea that you love is not an episode you will get to write but you just support it and make sure it's the best version of that episode that can get made and when do you know it's done when you how do you know an episode is done in terms of the break or in terms of the writing of well, like it? when you're writing it do you, i mean is there a defining moment when you say okay it's done or do you say oh, we got to touch it up a little more it it sort of depends on which which machine you're feeding in the business. If you are on a broadcast show, um, you always want it to be the best possible episode it can be. But broadcast television is a train that once it leaves the station will run over you if you cannot keep up. So yes. at a certain point, your schedule just demands that that script is done. I got you. It, it doesn't mean you won't be making tweaks and changes to it as you're shooting it even. Sometimes it's like, hey, actually this scene doesn't completely work and you're on set and you're fixing it. And that's just part of the game. But you reach a point where like the script as a, a blueprint to follow mm -hmm. must be handed over to everybody else so that everyone can do their jobs. In streaming... Because the format is generally write everything before it gets shot. Um, you know, I've been in situations where we are, say there's eight episodes in a season and we're writing episode eight and we're still getting notes on the pilot. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, so in streaming differ. it, it differs. Yeah. And in streaming, it feels a little like the notes never end until you actually shoot it. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Now let's get into your book a little bit. Uh, the Writer's Room Survival Guide. What inspired you to write the book? Um, so the truth of the matter is I have this wonderful mentor in my life named Carol Kirshner, who, uh, you know, runs the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, which launched my career, runs the showrunner training program at the Writers Guild, which I was fortunate enough to go through. 
And she had mentioned that she thought this was a book that, you know, was needed. And I was like, oh, you're right. That's a really good idea. And then she was like, you, I mean, mean you, I want you to write yeah. it. And I was like, no, I'm not writing a book. And she kind of kept after it. And she introduced me to the folks at Michael Weesey. And I was like, okay, let me try to see what I have to talk about. So I wrote a table of contents and I was like, do I have a lot to talk about? And suddenly I had 13 chapter headings and I was like, I guess I do. <laughs> yep. I spoke with Carol several years ago and she is definitely one of these inspirational people uh, to get your butt moving. Yes. She, she's very yes. inspirational. So that's, yes. that's awesome that you uh, uh, got to have her push you into the, the world of authoring. Indeed. Will. Yes. Indeed. Now, talk about some of the the headings, the 13 chapters. Tell me how right. you laid out the book and, and what, what your message truly is. Sure. So what I really tried to think about was from, from the first time that I got the phone call saying, congratulations, you have gotten this job, you're going to write on a television show. And what I felt that day, what my questions were, you know, what happened when I got the email that had every other writer's name in it? Like, what did I do? And so I really tried to like mine that. And so, you know, it's as basic as when you do get what we call the start email, which is like, hey, welcome to X show. We're gonna work at this office at this address. Everybody should be here by 10 on Monday. You know, blah, 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 information, information, information. But all the writers who are gonna work on the show are in that email. And so I just Googled all of them because I wanted to know who they were and what they did. And like one of them had written a movie that I love and one of them had worked on a show I loved. And so you automatically have conversation points to talk to people. Mm -hmm. And that first time when you walk in and there's eight people, 10 people that you don't know, you want to have something to talk about. And so that helps you start the conversation. And so it's, it's from that first day how do you walk into the writer's room to really basic stuff people don't talk to you about, like where to sit in the room, what to do about the lunch order. It's It seems so silly, but it can all be very important in your success as like, if you fidget a lot, don't sit near the showrunner because <laughs> it's distracting to them, right? Mm -hmm. If you uh, have very particular dietary habits and the room's gonna order from somewhere where you're like, oh, I don't eat anything there, just, be prepared. Either run down to the cafeteria and get your own lunch or bring your own food so you have it there. Don't become difficult. Make lunch difficult, right? Because then you're always that person as opposed to the person who's just like, yeah, yeah, I got my own. I'm good. Thanks. You guys enjoy your lunch. Um, so stuff like that all the way through what, how it's going to work, the process of getting your first script, what the notes process is like because it's it's a lot it's a lot of back and forth and people don't necessarily know that if they haven't sort of been boots on the ground um all the way through you know what happens if you are unlucky enough to end up in a room with a toxic showrunner and how do you handle that and to the the point that i wanted to sort of continue is once you really start to build a career and you're starting to think about developing your own shows and doing those kind of things, how you balance that with still working in a room, you know, and which is, it's a tricky thing at first. You like, you eventually get a, a good feel for it, but in the beginning, it's a lot like, 
I don't want the showrunner to think I'm I'm focused on this and not doing my job, but I really got to go to this meeting. And like, you can you can ask permission to go to the meeting. It's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you have to remember also to go back to a point you said. I googled all of them. I I am sure that you have been googled many a times too, because all those people are just as nervous and just as curious about who they're going to be working with. Um, so yeah. how has over time from when you first started to uh, where you're at now, how does, how does your, your, like, are you as nervous going into the first day of a show or do you feel quite comfortable? As I was, I'm much more comfortable now. I think, you know, the longer you do this job, the more you sort of move up the ranks, the more um, you kind of know what the plan of how the room's going to run and stuff before you ever start, because, especially once you become an upper level writer, the showrunner's looking at you to help support in a way that you don't when you're a lower level writer. And um, so I'm much more comfortable now in like, oh, it's a new group of people. Great. Let me go in here and see um, what everyone's like. But um, I will say this, and I this is really, truly an honest thing. I still, every time I start writing a script for a show, my first script for a show, I think, oh, what if I can't do it this time? Still, I just wrote my, I think it was my 19th episode of television. And I was like, oh, what if I can't? And it was like, it's so silly because there's 18 pieces of evidence that I can. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But that little doubting fear in there, it's there and it's perfectly natural. So I really want people to know that. Like, it is fine to be like terrified. This is the moment you get exposed. Then and they're all like, she can't do the job. You can do it. It's fine to be scared, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's your advice to somebody who wants to get into writing? Uh, maybe you could talk about your path a little bit, how you became uh, like, is it something you plan to do? And uh, answer right. things like that. Like somebody who's sitting there listening to this going, I'd love to do that. Sure. So I, it definitely was a passion of mine. And I, I wasn't really sure how I was going to make it happen, to be honest. I, you know, went to USC, but I didn't go to film school. So I didn't have all that, like, connection necessarily to help me break in. And I was lucky enough that I was always writing. That's the first part. Always be writing. If you want to break in, you should always be writing. Have new samples. Um, if you if you want to work for me and you have not had a job before, also write a spec of an existing show. Because... It's out of favor now. People act like, oh, you know, specs aren't important. It's it's literally the training tool to be a staff writer. It is writing a show in another person's voice, which is exactly what I'm going to be hiring you to do. So just have one. I'm not saying write a ton of them. Just have one handy that you love so that if I ask to see it, you know, you have it. Because there's other showrunners that feel this way as well. And then, um, you know... I, I was writing, I was writing, I was writing. And then when someone in my life who was a working writer said, well, can I read a script of yours? I was ready. So I had a script to hand over and she became a champion of mine. And even though she couldn't necessarily help me get a job, when I was a finalist for the CBS Writers Program, she wrote Carol and said, Nicole's amazing. You'd be crazy not to take her. Mm-hmm. So that happened because when the ask came, I had a script ready. So you just always have to do your best to be ready when someone gives you an opportunity. 
And, and in terms of how people get in, look, there's a million ways. I have a friend who was an actor and was interested in writing television and his agent said, well, then go write a spec. He didn't really know what that was. And he talked to some people and they were like, maybe you should write a spec of the shield. Cause I think that's your kind of show. So we bought a box set of the shield and lucky alignment of stars in that particular box set, Sean Ryan was standing in front of the writer's room board. And my friend was like, that, that must be how you do it. And he literally like took pictures of the thing and then broke an episode following the pattern that they had used and wrote a spec and got a job. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That's, that's keeping your eyes open. Yes. Yeah. So it's, you know, being an assistant, um, being an actor who transitions, it, it, it's coming from any other career that gives you interesting things to talk about. I was a police dispatcher before, so cop shows wanted to hire me. You know, I have friends who've worked in medicine, who've worked in the law, who've done all kinds of interesting things that they can bring in to sort of pitch themselves as writers. So um, I would say the most important thing is just always be writing, have great samples. So that when you get an opportunity, you're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about how writing has changed over the years. And I'm going to give a show. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Wild Wild West, for instance, mm-hmm. Robert Conrad. Now, if I think that was four seasons. If you watch that show start to finish, some of the episodes were straight up Western, like a gun smoke or something. Then other ones were science fiction-y. You could clearly tell they had different writers, probably different directors and producers and everything. Um, How would that go over nowadays with a a TV show, a weekly show? I think it would really depend on the outlet. Like, I think there's room for that kind of um, variance if it's intentional, right? If you look at something like Atlanta, which is really more of an anthology than it is like a traditional TV show, The episodes don't necessarily always feel like they flow one into another. They jump around in perspective a lot. If that's the type of show you want to make and they understand that's what they're buying, Mm -hmm. then I think nowadays it's like, great, go for it. Um, I think as long as it feels intentional and not like you don't know what the show is, that you have that kind of leeway to experiment and try other things. Like I know um, a wonderful writer that I'm lucky enough to be friends with, Akela Cooper, uh, just wrote an episode of uh, the new Star Trek show, Strange Worlds. That's like a, they're all in like costumes and it's sort of like this whole thing. And I was like, it's it's a different episode of that show, but you know, it's great fun and it was clearly intentional. So mm-hmm. that that kind of leeway is there for sure. I gotcha. And I don't think it was intentional on the uh, Wild Wild West, but uh, and I've always found that fascinating. That how can that show be so big when it was so all over the map? Because um, yeah. you don't see that with shows uh, at all, I don't think anymore. Yeah, it's pretty rare now. I will say one of the one of the things that um, Jeff Melvoin, who runs the showrunner training program at the Guild with Carol, he was talking to us once because I am a dyed in the wool Hill Street Blues fan. I still consider it the greatest show in the history of television. And he had worked on that show, and he was talking about the fact that like when you have to do so many episodes. Because back then, also, the episodes were, like, 52 minutes long, like, 56 minutes long in some cases, like, the really older shows. And you just, some of them are not going to be great. 
like sometimes you just have to accept that like it's a mediocre episode but we got to put one on and you shoot it and you hope you can make it better in performance and in editing but they can't all be great when you're making 22 24 26 episodes a season Mm. Um, which I think is why some people were like, oh, well, let's not do that. But I also think it's harder to build a con- to continuous relationship with shows when it's on for eight episodes and then gone for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, pick your poison. <laughs> you ever get to a point where, you know, the saying jump the shark. Um, do you ever get to a point in a writer's room where you feel like that that's where you're at with a TV series? Or have you ever had that feeling? Um, I haven't, I will say, and part of that's because I've jumped, you know, my first five shows got canceled. So before they could jump the shark, but I do think there's, you know, that's part of the responsibility of the room. Sometimes a pitch comes up and it sounds really great. Uh, the phrase that I think I dread most in a room is, you know, it would be cool because sometimes it's very cool. It's not actually our show. And so, you know, it's the responsibility of the room to see if it can work and then say, here's the reasons it doesn't work and try to talk us back off the ledge. Now, look, if you're not the showrunner, sometimes we go full steam ahead with the wouldn't it be cool thing because the showrunner loves it. And then you're like, oh, this is this is no, this is not going to be good. But you don't have a choice. You just support it and you try to make it the best jump the shark moment you're going to make. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I think, you know, one of the things that's really been important to me about this book is just to be sure that for the people who are reading it, who are already, you know, in L.A. trying to make it for the people who wonder if there's still time for them to make it, that, you know, this business is hungry for good creative voices and the life experience you have lived is a benefit, even if you run into people who are like, you know, well, I mean, you're already in your 30s or your 40s. So what are you going to like? You can't write the cool stuff. You can because mm-hmm. you've been 20. You've been 15. You like you've experienced all that. And so just don't let that stop you. Don't let that be the thing that stops you, because one of the eternal truths in our business is that the white male showrunners are allowed to write anything they want. Mm -hmm. They write 15 year old girls. They write 30 year old divorcees. They write all of that. And then somehow, especially women get told like, well, you know, you're not going to connect with this material. And it's like, I've been a 15 year old girl. Thanks. (laughs) I connect with it just fine. So, yeah. So I just really want people, especially if they're, you know, picking up this book because they're interested in pursuing this as a career there's no such thing as it's too late. There's no such thing. Like, get to work, study shows you love, write scripts, and try because you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And and to add upon what you just said, I, you're never the wrong race. You're never the wrong culture. You're never the wrong sex. Um, exactly. And I'm, I'm a big believer in that. When when I hear people, well, you know, it you know it's this, it's that. Well, maybe you can be the first. And, you know, yeah. I things are changing drastically in everything now, which is awesome. And uh, I think that's inspirational that you said that. So 
Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And thank you for adding that on. And it's true. And look, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's always going to be a fun experience. Sometimes when you're the only in a room, it is not a fun experience. Mm -hmm. um, but also you're strong enough. You've survived being who you are. I tell people all the time, I've been a black woman my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to like suddenly be shocked that, you know, there's people in a room who might have an issue with me being a black woman. Yep. I, I've, I've run into it before so I can roll with it and I know how to handle it and I know how to protect myself and you will bring all of that experience into the room with you. So if it's, you know, gender identity, if it's race, if it's, you know, uh, your religion, your politics, whatever it is that you think is going to make you stand out, oh, be who you are, just be who you are. And know that other people might have a problem with that, and that's their problem. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, n now, one last thing. Uh, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or contact you, uh, how can they do that? Uh, I am, at least for now, um, on Twitter more than I should be. Okay. So. <laughs> no, that's fine. If that's how, you know. Yeah, my Twitter handle is my first name at Nicole and then cookies. So it's N-I-C-E-O-L-E -E, cookies um, because I used to be a professional baker. And that's how I started on Twitter was being on there to promote my baking business. So <laughs> wow, police dispatcher probably had the best cookies for all the police officers. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole. It was a pleasure talking with you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me.